Chapter Six of Short Stories for Colored People, Both Old and Young, by Silas X. Floyd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tommy's Baby Brother. For several months, Deacon Tadpole's little son Tommy had made constant and repeated reference to the fact that he had no little baby brother or sister to play with. One day, when he was feeling unusually sad over his misfortune, he said to his father, "'Papa, I ain't got no little baby brother to play with. You might at least buy me a little pony.' "'Papa can't buy you a pony, son,' said the deacon. "'A pony costs too much. I thought you wanted a little brother or sister.' "'I do,' said Tommy. "'But if I can't get what I want, I'm willing to take what I can get.' "'But you would rather have a little brother than a pony, wouldn't you?' asked Mr. Tadpole. Tommy thought a while and then said he thought he would rather have a baby brother than to have a pony. "'You see,' he said, "'it costs so much to keep a pony, and we would have to build a stable for him, wouldn't we, Papa?' "'Yes,' answered his father, "'and we haven't got any room in the backyard for a stable.' "'And we'd have to buy hay, too,' said the child. "'Yes,' said his father.' "'Well, I'd rather have a little brother.' So the matter was left in abeyance until a month ago, when little Tommy was told one morning that a little brother had come to him. He was delighted. He danced around the hall and made such a racket on the stairs that the nurse threatened to have him sent away. When he was permitted to see the baby, Tommy went into ecstasies. He wanted to kiss the baby and cried because they wouldn't let him hold it in his arms.' But Tommy's enthusiasm for the new baby began to wear off in about a week's time. It was always, shh, shh, you'll wake the baby, or, Tommy, you must be more quiet, or, you can't come into this room now. In fact, the little baby brother seemed to be interfering with little Tommy's fun to such an extent that he decided to go to his father and see if some new arrangement could not be made. He ran to Deacon Tadpole and climbed upon his knee and said, "'Papa, I don't believe I want my little brother any more. I can't have any fun with him. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's trade him for a pony.' "'Oh, we couldn't do that,' said the deacon. Tommy was silent for a time. Then he said, "'Well, I don't suppose we could find anybody that would want to trade a pony for him. But don't you think you could trade him for a goat?' KEEPING SCHOOL Every boy and girl in America ought to go to school. The public school is one of the best institutions connected with the life of our nation. But did you ever hear of a little girl who went to school to herself? I have, and I want to tell you about it. We will call her Tootsie. There was no schoolhouse and no teachers. Nothing. Only just little Tootsie. Not even her dolls just simply Tootsie sitting all alone on the couch near the window. That was all there was to this little school, so far as anybody could see. But Tootsie said she had a large school, with some sixty pupils. Sometimes she would say that her scholars had been naughty, and that they would have to stay in that recess. And then again she would say that they had been promoted to a higher grade. She often talked to her pupils as if they were real live people telling them how they should stand and how they should sit, and giving them permission to be excused, and so on. So, you see, it seemed in Tootsie's mind very much more like a real school than it could to us. 
every morning when tootsie's sister would start for school tootsie would watch her until she was out of sight and then she would go and sit down on the couch not having a true true school book she would take her christmas story books at first she would only look at the pictures and try to think what the story about them must be then she would ask mamma or grandma or whoever happened to be nearest what the words of the picture story were she would then say the words of the story over to herself and look at the picture next day she would read over the words of the same story as far as she could remember them and when she came to a word that she did not know she would jump up and go ask someone what it was when she had learned a story herself she would then talk to her sixty imaginary scholars about it showing them the picture and explaining the story to them just as though the children were all there before her in her little schoolroom in this way tootsie went through one after another of her story-books picking out the stories that had pleasing pictures but the nice thing of it all was that tootsie was really learning to read and she did get so that she could read real well for she knew just what she was reading about and often when she would find a story that was funny she would laugh right out even if she was at school and then she would find mamma or grandma and read the funny part to them maybe one reason why tootsie learned so fast was because her school was just like play to her and not like work of course it is easier to play than it is to work but could you think of anything better to play than to play keeping school why not try it it helped tootsie wonderfully and I believe it would help many other boys and girls. What do you think about it? THE SCHOOL OFF THE STREET Little Joe, ten years old, had followed his business as a newsboy and boot-black in Smutville for three or four years, and, of course, had turned out to be a first-class little citizen of the street. He could curse and swear and drink and smoke, just the same as any old hardened sinner, one day, after Joe had finished one of his daily fights with some other small boy, a kind-hearted gentleman stepped up to him and said, "'My little man, do you go to school?' "'Nope,' said Joe. "'Do you go to Sunday school?' "'Nope.' "'Well,' said the gentleman, "'what do you expect to do when you are grown?' "'I ain't going to wait till I'm grown. "'I'm going to be a jockey. "'That's what I'm going to be.' How would you like to be a bank cashier or a president of a great bank? Wouldn't you like that better? Yep, said the boy. But a poor boy can't get no job like that. Now you know he couldn't. Oh, yes, he could if he were to prepare himself for it. But a poor boy, and no other boy, will ever be a great businessman if he's going to live forever in the street, cursing and swearing and fighting, and, it may be, stealing and having no higher ambition than to be a jockey. "'Are you a parson?' asked the boy, becoming interested. "'No, but I am interested in little boys. "'I am the secretary of the Young Men's Christian Association, "'and we have a boys' department. "'I want you to join it. "'I have found out about your habits and your surroundings. "'I was told of the death of your mother and father.' and I made up my mind to come and ask you to come over to the Young Men's Christian Association and live with us. You may continue to sell your papers and black boots, but, you see, living with us, you can go to school at night, 
and some day you will have a good education, and you might be a bank cashier. Little Joe took this good man's advice and went to live in the YCMA building. He did not turn out to be a bank cashier or a president, but what was better, Joe turned out to be a general secretary of one of the largest YMCAs among the colored people in this country, and in that way has been instrumental in saving a great many other boys from the gutter. But Joe would never have amounted to anything if he had not been taken away from the wicked influences of the street and placed on the road to higher things. The worst school in this world that any boy can go to is the school of the street. The school of the street turns out the most impure, most dishonest, and the most illiterate boys, and those boys and girls who ever rise to be anything or anybody in the world are the ones who leave the influences of the street in due time, as little Joe did. The street offers most of its work and most of its attractions at night, as many boys can tell. The life of the street leads to no career that is worth following. The good careers are made by those whom the street has not had a chance to spoil, or by those who are taken out of the streets before they become hopeless cases. There is no greater error than the common notion that it is a good thing to let a boy run the streets and become hard and tough and have his wits sharpened and make a little man of himself, as some foolish people say. A boy learns more downright mischief in one night in the street than he can unlearn in the home in six months. And so, what will the teaching of the home, the public school and the Sunday school amount to, if we are going to give our boys in their young and tender years the freedom of the streets. If now and then a street boy, that is to say, a boy hardened in the ways of the street, does get a good place, in most cases he will lose it and fall back to the old, free life of the gutter. The boys who succeed are the boys who get away from, or are taken away from, the influences of the street, and who are surrounded by better and more wholesome influences. Those who remain under the influences of the street become in the course of time members of the great army of beggars, tramps, and criminals. It is a great pity that there should be so many stories going the rounds which tell about newsboys and messenger boys and so on, rising to be bank clerks and telegraph operators and so forth. On the whole, these stories are misleading and for the reason that they seem to give the impression to many innocent boys and to many thoughtless parents that the surest way to give a boy a good start in life is to send him out into the streets to rough it and fight his way to the front over beer bottles, games of chance, the racetrack, and the pool room, to the accompaniment of vulgar jokes, profane swearing, and evil associates. I repeat, the school of the street is the worst school in the world, and the sooner boys get out of it, the better it will be for them. THE FOX HUNT Uncle Hambright used to pride himself upon his ability to invent amusing games for children. Sometimes he found it hard to think of anything new, but the demands of the children were so insistent and his desire to please them always so intense that it often happened that Uncle Hambright could almost make a way out of no way. Dinner time was fast approaching. All the morning, the half-dozen little children, who were spending the day with Uncle Hambright at the Sunday school picnic, 
had been playing every conceivable sort of game and had been enjoying every imaginable kind of story told in uncle ham's imitable way but still the children were not satisfied just one more story or just one more game or give us your best game now for the last before dinner the children clamored one after another very well said uncle ham you all wait until i come back and then we'll play fox hunting uncle ham went and told his sister and her husband the parents of the little children to take the dinner baskets far into the woods to the place which they had already agreed upon as the spot where the dinner table should be spread coming back to the children uncle ham said now we are ready come close and listen while i explain with anxious hearts and eager faces and clapping glad hands the children gathered around uncle ham now he said i have a piece of chalk here in my hand i am going to make something like this wherever i go along while he was speaking he made a round ring on the fence close by he put marks for the ears and feet and a mark for the tail then he continued this is the fox i'm going to make foxes along the path that i take into the woods sometimes these foxes may be on fences sometimes on trees sometimes on rocks or anywhere i wish to place them whenever you find a fox you will know that you are on the right road and you must be sure each time to follow in the direction that the head of the fox points then you won't lose your way you must give me a little start because i must be out of sight before you all begin the hunt at the end of the hunt if you follow carefully you will find a large present waiting for each one of you you may help yourself to whatever you like and then we shall all come back together because you know i will be at the end myself waiting for you when you come it seemed that the ten minutes start that the children had agreed to give uncle hambright would never come to an end so eager were they to begin the hunt by and by the time came and they were off the first few foxes had been drawn on the boardwalk so the hunters had easy sailing for a little while pretty soon however one of the girls discovered a fox on a tree and the head of the fox pointed right into the woods at first the children halted the eldest girl said finally after studying a few minutes let's go on uncle hambright wouldn't take us where anything could hurt us and besides he said he would be waiting at the end thus reassured all of them plunged into the woods once in the woods the little foxes drawn on trees and stumps carried them right along by the side of a babbling brook for a long distance sometimes they would find one fox and then they would find it very hard to locate the next one it was great fun for them to scurry about in the woods examining trees stumps rocks and everything hunting for the foxes finally one of the little girls found a fox on a fence the head of the fox pointed upwards the little child said this little fox seemed to be pointing to heaven i'm sure we can't go up there oh no said the oldest girl again coming to the rescue i think that little fox leads over the fence that's all so over the fence they jumped and continued the chase the course proved to be zigzag now for a few minutes and the children found the foxes more and more difficult to locate 
they felt safe again when the foxes were found on stones or rocks leading up the side of a hill the woods began to thin out and the children were no longer timid up the hill they went with a merry laugh and a shout once on top of the hill they lost their course again after a time they found a fox though and that fox pointed straight down the hill the children bravely followed at the foot of the hill they came suddenly upon an open space and close by there was a great big fox marked on a piece of black pasteboard and standing right over a bubbling spring of water uncle hambright must have meant for us to stop here said one maybe he meant for us to stop and get some water said another one or two of the fox hunters stopped and drank some water then the oldest one said come on now let's look for another fox i guess we're most through now about twenty yards away from the spring the children came to another open space that was well shaded what was their delight and surprise to find there stretched out before them on a large white tablecloth laid on the bare ground a sumptuous picnic dinner and in the middle of the table there was a true true stuffed fox with a large red apple in his mouth for a few moments the children stood around the table in bewilderment but they were not kept in suspense a great while pretty soon uncle hambright and mamma and papa came out of the woods nearby and such a laugh as went round that picnic dinner was never heard before or since at the close of the meal the children all voted that that was the best game that uncle ham had played during the day a bold venture mr slocum good morning sir i came around to ask you to lend me five dollars mr slocum manager of the harlem steamboat company looked up from his desk in surprise when he heard this abrupt announcement what's that he asked curtly lend me five dollars said the little boy who first addressed him who are you demanded mr slocum i'm nobody said the boy nobody but i want you to lend me five dollars mr slocum who was generally said to be a hard man to deal with was surprised at the boy's presumption yet nevertheless he was secretly pleased at the boy's frank and open manner do you know what borrowing money means asked mr slocum rising and looking down upon the diminutive figure standing before him the boy was barefooted held his hat in his hand and his hair was nicely combed mr slocum continued don't you know when a person borrows money he is supposed to pay it back oh yes said the boy i know that you lend me the money and i'll pay it back all right i only want it for three months i'll pay it back there was something about the boy's face and general deportment that won mr slocum's favor he ran his hand into his pocket pulled out a five-dollar bill and handed it to the boy thank you sir said the boy as he turned to go thank you sir i'll pay it back three months later the same little boy entered mr slocum's office here's your five dollars mr slocum said the little boy i'm much obliged to you sir who are you asked mr slocum as he reached out and took the money i'm nobody said the boy well why do you bring me this money because i owe it to you explained the little fellow the boy told mr slocum of the loan made three months before 
and made Mr. Slocum recall the transaction. Mr. Slocum asked him to have a seat. "'Well, what did you do with that money?' asked Mr. Slocum. "'Well,' said the boy, "'I was hard up when I called on you. Me and my ma have been selling papers for a living up to that time, but somehow we got behind with our expenses. House rent was due, and we didn't have nothing to eat. I had to find a friend somewhere.' So, after trying two or three places where I was known and failing to get any help, I decided to drop in here and see you. You know the result. Well, I paid my rent for a week, rented a little stand for my ma to sell papers on the corner, while I continued to hustle in the street. That five dollars you lent me give me good luck, and I've been going right up ever since. Me and ma are living in a better place now, We've got plenty to eat, and we've got plenty of fine customers. I told you when I came here before that I was nobody then, but I'm somebody now, Mr. Slocum. Anyhow, I feel so, and I want to thank you again for the help you gave me. The boy's story pleased Mr. Slocum very much. It is needless to say that he took an interest in that boy and continued to befriend him. This happened many years ago. Today, Tommy Tolliver, that was the boy's name, is the assistant general manager of the Harlem Steamboat Company, and a very well-to-do man. Mr. Slocum says that there is nobody in the world like him. Tommy's mother died some years ago, but she lived long enough to see her little boy taken out of the streets, put to school, and started on his career of usefulness. End of chapter 6